Right. Let's chat. London time. Almost. I'll be I'll be at my uh London accommodation for the Rocket League event. Nice. Next week, exactly. I'm gonna be in London the day before. How you feeling for it? I don't like events. I hate big crowds. But fair, fair enough. Usually it's good enough an experience to make it worthwhile. So I am I I am I'm anxious in all the ways I usually am, but I'm excited about just the general okay. breakaway. I've actually never been to London, so I can stop telling people really? that after this. It's gonna be great. Nice. Exactly, exactly. It won't be it won't be this really anymore. I'll be like, Yeah, yeah, I've been to London. We've all been in London. Isn't it great? And everyone will be like, Yeah, isn't it great? And I'll be like, Wow, there, there was buildings, there, there were, was people, there was things to see. There was shops. Like, so many things that aren't in the cities that I've been to that are not called London. Uh, well, exactly. You're not going to see a Queen's insanely expensive house anywhere else, so, you know, I, ain't finding that in Norwich. You know, if I if I go to see the palace, I will I will give the Queen a tenner <laughs> for the visit. Because I doubt I'm going to see the palace, but this is my personal bet. I'm just going to drop a tenner through the gate. The thing is, that's probably pennies compared to what you've already given to her inadvertently through tax across your entire <laughs> yeah. life. I have afforded, afforded, oh, afforded her tax avoidance for sure. Well, exactly. Although the thing is with London, I'm, first of all, look at you. Turn 30, breaking barriers, going to London. Amazing. Yeah, it's like a crisis or something. Yeah, nice. Although if it's midlife, then I mean, you're, you're halfway through. Oh, no. So, good luck. Well, or if you see life as like a logarithmic experience where every year feels shorter than the previous one because you're having like a shorter total yeah. ex- expense of your life experience, then technically 30 is like pretty average. That, I mean, that is true, actually. And I think my midlife crisis, I mean, I'm depends what you mean by crisis, <laughs> but... Um, Yours is just a, a lot of tattoos. Yeah, but I don't think that's crisis. I think that was just something I'd wanted to do for a long time and frankly, want to get more. So Freedom is what it was. It does, it's just a very long crisis, which turns into life. The entire midlife crisis, get that out of here. Talk to me about all life crisis. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you'll enjoy London. I like London as a place to visit because I did the whole work in London thing, which is 10 years ago this summer, which is absolutely insane. Wow, yeah. And it does feel like just a few summers ago. But yeah, 10 years. Did the whole, you know, commuting for four hours across the entire day, and that is wow. legitimately four hours yeah. <laughs> every day. <laughs> living in my aunt's like windowless spare room where I could barely stand up. Yeah, and I I couldn't do it. I didn't want to do it for very long, but I ticked that box, and now I'm happy to go and see all the sights and see the buildings and the people and say, "Wow, this is a city in Britain." Which, funnily enough, you did say you've never been. Graham's never been either. Which I, which all similarly blew my mind, and so we are rectifying that in September. We are going there for for four nights, which should be a lot of fun. I, I do like the city, exactly. But you know what? I'm probably going to enjoy it more now than I would have if I went three years ago, four years ago. Why? Because I get to wear my mask and nobody's going to think it's weird. Nice. And I get to feel like that extra layer of I'm invisible safety. No, I don't matter, and a little bit of safety. Granted, I'm a hundred percent certain that. I will get COVID going to a big city in the summer. Uh, uh, well, I'm prepared for it. The, the cases are going up. That being said, I was at my first gig, post-pandemic gig, Whoa. a couple of Mondays ago, a day to remember in Glasgow, which was hastily announced, and I think they cancelled their tour two days later. Oh, dear. But 
it was the first time I've been in a big crowd of people in over two, almost two and a half years. Yeah, wow. And it was very, very strange because there was obviously just a lot of sweaty men there. <laughs> I tell you, like, I, I really enjoyed the gig. Yeah. And I haven't missed shirtless, gross men just <laughs> deciding, you know what? I don't care that it's half past nine on a Monday night. The top's coming off and you're just going to have to deal with it. Uh, but yeah, it was it was a fun night, but it did just take me a few minutes to feel to even comfortable. Like I, I was still just a little bit like, oh, I don't know how I feel about this. Yeah, yeah. There's two thousand people all crammed inside this very warm building in Glasgow, and statistically, you know, COVID's like one in forty. And I know it's a very mild illness now, but still, there's over two years of messaging. It does get to you. Yeah. And yeah, I'm sitting there being, thinking, like doing I mean, the maths. I'm still scared of long COVID, no matter what. True. Yeah, absolutely legitimate. And I'm sitting there doing the maths. I'm thinking, right, there are probably about fifty people in this building who, to either unwittingly or <laughs> I know, right? uh, knowingly, I know, right? have COVID. Great. <laughs> now, I'm going to be bringing my hand sanitizer into big buildings and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, for sure. I need to actually probably buy a bigger, bigger wee bottle. It'll be, it'll be fine though. Just... It's, it's funny you were saying about the anonymity because uh, I think it was my brother who was saying that you know during the mandates when people were saying, oh, don't you have to wear masks in schools? Mm-hmm. And you have to wear masks in offices, and you would have people, let's say the the anti-rule people um, <laughs> from across the spectrum mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. who. Who would say, you can't tell me what to do. I'm not going to wear your silly mask. I don't want to wear a face nappy. And then when the mandates were dropped, they're the ones who are now wearing masks because that's the new anti-rule. It's, you know, I don't I don't want to show my face. I'm going to wear a mask. How dare you tell me to show my face? I find that fascinating. So that's one thing, though, where, yeah, you, you do see people now still in the supermarkets with masks on. Which is which is good, good for them. Absolutely, the right call. Yeah, fair enough. And but but that's just now going to be a thing, and it's not like yeah. odd anymore. As you say, three years ago, people would say, "Hmm, you're not from Asia. Why are you <laughs> wearing, wearing a mask? A mask. Oh, why are, you're not from a country that's experienced pandemics before too much. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Anyway, how's uh, other than London? Things things well. Things, things good. Well, things busy. Cat health report. She is looking. Grand, great. Uh, I, I just I, I saw it this morning. She looked at me with both her eyes wide open, eyeballs and healthy. Her hair had grown back in on the eye that had the surgery, and I was like, "Oh wow, nice! This is wonderful. Good lass. She's made it. Uh, me health. Oh my goodness, <laughs> I hate it right now. I've got trapped nerves in my back again. Oh, I just man. get random little bits of like numb patches in my extremities from it. It's awful. I woke that up. That sounds horrible. I woke up last night <laughs> and my pinkies and ring fingers were, uh, c- just because of the way I was sleeping, I'd managed to trap the- trap their nerves specifically. <laughs> they were just completely numb. <laughs> it was so weird. Uh. But I'd be more scared if it was like something I couldn't control because I-, I just tried to relax and move and sit in the right place and it goes away again. So I I have done the old Google thing and get scared of all the horrible bad things that it could of be. Course, and I have yeah. gone to see the doctor and stuff like that, and they're just like, "No, it's just your muscles. It's just your nerves. No stress." Okay. But my goodness, it, it is disorienting, and I don't like it. Yeah, I I I can only empathise because I've never I'm yet to I should say have that sort of sensation. Uh, uh. My issue this week has been sleep and just general stress. Which is not oh, no. just not pleasant at all. The cycle, the cycle. You can't sleep, so you get stressed. You get stressed, so <laughs> you, you can't, can't sleep. sleep. Yeah, so it's I'm sitting there at like 
2am just listening to some inane uh, podcast called Cease Operate, uh, trying to get me to get myself to sleep. Um, and I'm you know, setting up, I'm reading my book, I uh, went for a dump, I did all, everything that you think you would do to try and get you to sleep and just nothing, nothing at all. And then here we are, I'm thinking, all right, well, we're awake now. Guess we're just going to have to march on through. But the, But then combined with that, is the fact that it's just been a mad week for work and that it's yeah. really good. We're really busy. And uh, I was told about the bonus scheme this week and I'm thinking, all right, okay, I, I could I could maybe work hard, harder oh, than I currently am. Oh, you're getting incentivized a wee bit, are we you? We are being incentivized, yes. I and, wish I got bonuses. I should oh, write that one down. Yeah. So um, anyway, all these things happen. And it's been good, you know, inquiries coming in, but that means, you know, writing more pitches and speaking to clients on the phone and be like, hey, yeah, of course you want to spend 20 grand with our company. It's nothing to do with the fact that we've got a target. <laughs> oh, and then I still have this giant freelance editing gig. And yeah, yesterday was, the course was just a bit of a stress. And uh, I ended it's up much. going to my car at the end of the day where I was just, I was just going to head off to play football, and I found the hoodie that I wear as like my, you know, to keep me warm as I walk over to the pitch. And I sat in my back seat. I took the hoodie and I just screamed into it as oh, loud dear. as I possibly could, oh, just because I, I was feeling so pent up and so like, I understand. I can't deal with this. So that's where we're I at. Understand. But it's the weekend, and I will get a better sleep on Saturday. That's that's what's happening. Have you what? Have you tried? All the extra things for the worst nights where you've got like the superpowers of a weighted blanket to crack out the cupboard and just weigh yourself down or those herbs, those herbs that, that give you the good, the good sleepy feels, you know? I'm yet to get onto any, um, let's say medical herbs <laughs> okay, or any, anything like, like that. I have tried some teas recently yeah. on the fruity teas. Valid. Which... I'm yet to be fully convinced by, but it's better than having a coffee at one in the morning. Uh-huh. So I'm okay with that. And yeah, and they're designed to not have caffeine, which is the yes. main thing. They're just warm and yeah. fruity. There are herby ones that would, be, that would be even better for your for your little sleepy brain. I'll be honest. I think the main thing that's going to help is just not working so much. Yeah, exactly. And it's yeah. really, really annoying. 100%. Because literally at the tail end of last year, I was like, right. Colin, you work too much. I'm gonna not work too much because you know you you know you need the money because your partner's on four pound ninety an hour. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But also, you want to do creative stuff, and I end up just like taking on a, a job which is going to pay like pretty well, but it's absolutely a commitment for. I mean, I've been sitting on this for three weeks, no and it's definitely going to take me at least another month to get through it all. On top of all the the training stuff, so right. I've set myself like this deadline of when I want to be finished it by, and then I'm just like, look, I don't care who comes along. Never again. It's just, I just have to start saying no, because... You have to. I, and, then, uh, and the other thing is just all the personal shenanigans <laughs> that go on, which just don't help things at all. And then you end up like telling the umpteenth person the same, or reliving the same story, the same family dynamics. You've told like... 12 people in the last month already okay. and it just gets it's just wearing man it's just ugh. just need a weekend off I need a week off a month <laughs> off that'd be great I'm sure you'll get there I'm sure you'll get there but I reckon while, th- while things are bad I recommend all those little extra bits crack them out of the store cupboard including <laughs> even in the summer I've got a weighted blanket and I don't get too sweaty in the summer as long as it's not like 
duvet, then blanket, then blanket, then blanket. It's fine. And then Kat. And, and, and then what didn't help either is seeing Kay Burley and Piers Morgan attempt to interview Mick Lynch from the RMT. And just... Oh my goodness. Oh my... I don't even know where to start with both of those interviews, but both those interviewees... Pillocks, the pair of them, awful. Well, the ah, uh, we'll get we'll get to we'll that. Get, I guess we'll get to it. Yeah, Just the, made the, my blood boil. The media treatment of uh, strikes is disgusting. It's it's really been obvious this time, though. I mean, I I'm I can't speak for the seventies and eighties. Why are you being the evil people who are making us all suffer? <laughs> <laughs> Why are all you people who are on twenty twenty k a year cleaning toilets, <laughs> pulling people off the tracks, staying with people who've collapsed in your trains? Yeah. Why do you want a pay increase? Despite the fact that inflation is through the roof and you can't afford anything yeah. anymore. There's a cost of living crisis. Why are you people on low wages asking for higher wages? The government says that train drivers are in 60k. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know. It's not the train drivers who are striking. <laughs> and then you'll have someone say, yeah, you know, it's totally fine that the head of Network Rail earned £600,000 a year. And it's totally yeah. fine that <laughs> train companies in the UK made £500 million last year. That's fine. They need to fire some people. They need to give everyone else a pay freeze. Ah. But their wages, it's fine for them to increase. Why are you being evil? <laughs> it is just, but it's been so obvious. It's been very really obvious, obvious. Way more than previous ones. Yeah. And what I, but I think that's, that's almost bad. Backfired in a way because it's got so much coverage from both sides. Oh, you know, even the Spectator yesterday, who basically run, ran down this list of everyone that Mick Lynch had been interviewed by and how horribly it had gone for the interviewee. But it's, he's done. He's done great. I don't understand. And it, as this was what most people were pointing out, why? Well, I know why. But why are these journalists, with my air quotes, journalists, not yeah. asking questions in the same style to the government? Rather than just say the head of a union. Well, that would be great, wouldn't it? Just bizarre. It would be wonderful if they if they tried to be a bit more cutting with the government. It's just great that the head of a union can be cutting and honest back. Yeah, they don't yeah. have to play the game the same way that the MPs do and it's, stuff. It is fascinating. If you're yet to see the clips we're talking about here, uh, Piers Morgan, I'm again air quotes interviewing Mick Lynch from the RMT, yeah. and then Kay Burley, which is even worse from Sky, interviewing. Mick Lynch, and it's it's almost funny if it wasn't so sad that this is just a she's essentially just shouting at him, you know. They're they're, they're terrible. It it is terrible, and so all these things, yeah, lag of sleep, too much work, stress, Mick Lynch. It's all it's all combining. Get, you know what? Get your get your media training team to make some training around those interviews. Mick training. Well, how to be Mick, but also, like, look at these idiot interviewers and how bad they are, you well, know? Well, it's definitely the, the key Burley one I've already grabbed because it is a really good example of hostile interviewing and how the audience actually turns on the journalist rather than... Yeah. Because she then posted it, or her team posted it as a, oh, Mick Lynch uh, is all flustered as he fails to answer my cutting question. <laughs> and everybody, say, what planet are you living on? So there is that. We, we say this in our courses. We say, look, the audience is making their mind up. Whose side are they on? The journalist or yours? And if the journalist is the one who's losing the rag, you're the one who's losing the audience. It's not the interview. It's not the interviewee themselves. They're fine. They're actually winning. Yeah. it's It's been really interesting. And I think it has been a big 
uh, mask off moment for a lot of the media and also for the Labour Party who are not being very right. much oh, okay, the hold pro on. strike and pro worker <laughs> party on. they should be. We've not even said the name of the show yet. They, they, people might think they're listening to Joe Rogan. Hey, welcome to the Labour Party. I am Lotto. I am a Sir Keir Starmer impersonator and welcome to <laughs> Sausage Prada <We're> both. <laughs> episode 288 this show is going down the tubes man okay this is his parade I'm Colin yes. and he is James indeed and here we are railing against absolutely rich right there. national conglomerates making far too much money and keeping it all for themselves but if you are rich, consider paying more tax, okay? Yeah. If you are if you are listening and you're rich, you could pay more tax, well, right? Uh, absolutely. Yeah, you could. Yeah, you could. We yeah. definitely could. Anyway, this is uh, the show, which is your new favourite uh, Scottish podcast, Words in a Different Order, today. And we've been running for a long time. You know, we started years ago and actually went longer than anyone else. Everyone else decided, you know what, this show is just too good. We can't do our own podcast anymore. Exactly. And that's, exactly. We've that's actually, why yeah. we're the best. We receive letters every day conceding <laughs> the podcast. We got emails today from the British Podcast Association saying, <laughs> hey, want to stay on our mailing list? You've been awfully quiet recently. So... You know, not everyone gets those emails. We've not, we've not heard from you in a while. <laughs> we're, like, well, we're too big for you, all right? <laughs> yeah, gosh. Okay, well, anyway, thank you very much for listening. Really do appreciate it. Uh, wherever you are in the world, according to our SoundCloud analytics, probably in the States, uh, which is cool. Yeah. So, yeah, thanks very much. And we're basically going to talk about British stuff today. <laughs> so, and we, we already talked about it, but we'll talk about it again. Yeah, I mean, there was some American stuff. I saw the Supreme Court uh, knock down a New York ruling, which has been in place for yeah. decades, which means that you no longer need a reason to carry a gun in public. Yeah, no, what? yeah. States, states do not have rights, Colin. Well, I've, I'm learning this. <laughs> the, the states may not legislate when it comes to things, except maybe the things that the Supreme Court wants them to legislate over. It's just, it's almost like they're picking and choosing. It's the classic uh, start of the article. In a 6-3 ruling... Oh, wow. I'm so surprised by the numbers. Really? <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> I wonder why that is. But yeah, that's um, that's, a, that's a side note. That in New York, you can just carry a gun now. You don't need a reason. Yeah, and the Supreme Court is meddling with the states where they don't like the states, but they're going to support the ones that they do. It's a shock to the world. Oh, it, it is, it is. And if you want to get in touch with the show, um, and for, perhaps you want to stick up for Kay Burley or, or Piers Morgan and, and say that these people are, are great at their job, ceaseoperate.gmail.com. Yeah, perhaps you too hate unions and you hate workers banding together to like have the only means of uh, improving the workplace that has ever been effective in the entire history of work. Correct. Maybe you don't like that stuff. Let us know. Do you hate the two-day weekend? Do you hate the minimum wage? Well, yeah, I hate the two-day weekend because it should be three, but it's a different kind of hate. I'm on the other side of the fence. <laughs> okay, well, anyway, thank you very much for listening. Cease Operate on Twitter. And let's crack on, James. We do have a lot to talk about, but uh, let's start with something we're actually yet to even mention in this um, ramble, and it's the the Conservatives, and they had a bad night last night. Let's talk about it. All right. All right. This is the news that the Conservatives lost both by-elections yesterday yeah. uh, south of the border in England and we've seen now the resignation of the co-chair of the party Oliver Dowden after the party lost to Labour 
and then the Lib Dems. So they lost the Lib Dems in Tiverton and Honiton and uh, Devon. I'm reading that completely wrong. Let's try that again. The Lib Dems <laughs> overturned a huge Tory majority in Tiverton and Honiton in Devon. Wow, okay. Which is their third by-election victory this year, or rather in Good the last job. 12 months, I should say, over the Tories. And then yep. Labour retook the seat of Wakefield, which it lost wow. at the last general election. So in a letter, the co-chair Oliver Dowden, he wrote this to Mr Johnson. He published it on social media. Okay. Uh, he said that Tory supporters were distressed and disappointed. We cannot carry on with business as usual. Right. Somebody must take responsibility. Yes. And I have concluded that it would not be right for me to remain in office. So he is oh, out of there. Which doesn't sound like he's taking responsibility. Is so. <laughs> it sounds like he is just leaving. <laughs> getting out of there. Yeah, so he's away. Uh, Boris Johnson at the moment <laughs> is in Rwanda. And uh, dear listener, we will revisit Rwanda. <laughs> did he get deported? <laughs> no, he didn't. A US national Definitely just did not. got the random Rwanda deport. It's yes, funnily enough, actually, there's a Commonwealth heads of government meeting in Rwanda just now. Sheer oh, coincidence. Timing, wow. And uh, yeah, so Mr. Johnson is expected to stay there rather than cut that visit short. But in a, a statement, he said, "We've got to recognise there's more we've got to do, and we certainly will. We will keep going, addressing the concerns of people until we get through this patch." Uh, and he has also has written a letter back to Mr. Dowden, who was um, who said he understood his <laughs> just disappointment. A patch. So. So, James, this is this is big because after Boris survived the vote of confidence, this was the next or, or the first real test. It was. Both it was. Conservative MPs in this uh, in these seats had to stand down. I'm pretty sure one of them was Imran Khan, who was convicted of sexually assaulting a teenage boy. Yes. I fail to remember the other one. Was but it Cocaine Man? They lost both seats. It could have been Cocaine Man for all I know. There's been a ton of Tories doing na- naughty, naughty things. Well, doing illegal, illegal things. And yeah, those seats... <laughs> it's just a phase. ...then went to uh, a by-election and they've lost them both. So, this... Where does this leave us, James? Well, give us a little bit of confidence that maybe the Tory voter base is actually going to not vote for them so much in the future. Well, well, hold on, hold on. Because you say the Tory voter base, there's clearly a swathe of the... Swathe is the wrong word. A proportion of Tory supporters who aren't really Tories. They're just kind of like going yeah, with the exactly. wind. Yeah, they, they voted for what the media told them. So, Correct. Right? We, right. Know, we know that there are the, 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 the people who like a, a certain kind of Labour Party yep. and they'll vote for the Tories if it's not the right one. We know that there's people who like who want to be Lib Dems, but they'll vote Conservatives if it, yep. if it means dodging the Labour Party. And there's a whole bunch of people who aren't really Tory voters, and it looks like they've been given the strength to vote for the party that they yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they usually say they want to vote for. Um, and it, it does give us hope that maybe we'll hold on to this long enough to reach some other election, even if it makes takes a lot of time, several years. Um, and even then, when it is a much more serious event where the Tories can actually actually lose significant power, those same flexible voters, shall we say, will still flex the other way. But I still don't believe it. I think that when it comes to something like a, a national election, when the actual power is is on the line, those flexible voters are a little bit less flexible. Okay. They're more likely to vote 
Tories still, and Tories still are polling pretty good within their own base. Right. So we still might not see Boris have anything to say about maybe wanting to leave. No, well, uh, yeah, as we've talked about before, he, he ain't going anywhere unless he's voted out. Yeah. And the next chance he, he has to do that will be a year for a leadership contest or, what, two years for an election. So just to give you some more details here, yeah. the second MP was Neil Parrish, who was a tractor porn boy. Oh, porn uh, boy. Oh, I thought yes. it was cocaine man, but it was porn boy all along. No, it was, <laughs> no those are two different supervillains. So Neil Parrish, he quit. After he was caught watching porn in the House of Commons, his lead twice, yeah, twice, yeah. Anyway, his lead, caught the majority twice. he had in Tiverton and Honiton was twenty four thousand, and in the by election on Thursday night, they lost by six thousand. So that's a thirty thousand switch. So big numbers. I, like the other parties can capitalize on this. Work together, you know, organize. <laughs> Yep. Take down the Tories. So there's a couple other points here as well. We talked about this recently. It did seem like Labour and, and the Lib Dems basically did plan this time and said, hey, yeah. let's work together. You guys, you've got the best chance of winning in Devon. Need to. We've got the best chance of winning in Wakefield. Yep. Let's go for it. And that's, that seems to be what happened. So that's clever. And I hope they do it. I hope they do it. We 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 were calling for everyone who was sensible was calling for it in the last election and the one before it. More cooperation between the not conservative party parties yeah, yeah. because it was obvious how it was going to turn out if they didn't and it obviously turned out exactly like that so and hopefully they've learned they've proven it this is their test if they work together and just dodge each other's strong seats the strong seats become even stronger yeah, yeah. wow it's incredible i'm surprised that people whose jobs it is to do this stuff aren't doing it like this more often. Okay, well, this also then follows on from last week where the Prime Minister's ethics advisor, his second ethics advisor, Set, quit yeah. Yeah. after uh, just a day after saying there was a legitimate question about whether Boris broke ministerial rules over Partygate. So uh, this was Lord Geitz. He didn't actually give a specific reason for leaving the rule he took just last year, uh, but said it was the right thing to do. If you remember, we did talk about this at the time, his predecessor, Sir Alex Allen, quit in 2020 after Mr. Johnson overruled him in the report about Priti Patel's bullying Yeah. Uh, at the time that the, the Home Secretary, and still the Home Secretary, uh, the government had said in response it was surprised by Lord Geitz's decision to leave. But James, this is no, a pretty damning indication of how uh, ethics and morals are currently viewed in uh, in 10 Downing Street. Well, we know that they're not viewed very highly because they keep trying to change the rules regarding <laughs> ethics and morals and yeah, MPs. Yeah. Uh, they keep trying to make the more things forgivable and uh, ignorable, uh, and they're going to keep doing that. So, you know, people quitting and their roles as ethics, whatever, just shows that, one, the role is basically meaningless because they can't do anything. Yep. And two... That they, that they just want to get out before they get blamed for the changes. There's nothing here except somebody who, who couldn't do anything to stop Boris and his team changing some rules that he didn't like and then quitting so he doesn't get blamed. Uh, good on him for quitting, but why, why don't you just do a better job of, of the ethics as you are <laughs> paid to do by the tax people? And uh, fun fact, Lord Geit is from and now lives on the Isle of Lewis. <laughs> I did not know that. 
Yeah. How, how bizarre. Things I learned oh, today. Get him out of there. Send him back to Parliament. Be the ethics boy and do a good job. <laughs> Yeah, there we go. Today I learned. But no, yeah, no, the conservatives are going to keep trying to dismantle ethics, keep trying to roll in more power for themselves and less accountability for themselves. And maybe the next person they appoint as chief of ethics won't quit because they'll just be happy to call, keep calling up all the like dictionary publishers around the world, trying to convince them to change their definitions of ethics and morals. You know, that's the only thing Boris wants them to do. Well, it's it is akin to, and I was reading this. We're not going to talk about it in depth this week, but the the hearings on the January 6th uh, riots at the, at the Capitol building in D.C. True, true, true. I was reading this morning that Trump had brought in an environment, an environmental lawyer <laughs> and essentially was like, hey, this guy's going to replace so-and-so in the FBI. <laughs> and, the, and the FBI said, uh, sorry, this guy is completely unqualified for the job. And if you do that, Everybody is going to resign en masse. Right, yeah. And eventually he was talked out of it. But it was because the Trump had handpicked this guy because he was in Trump's pocket. It was Yeah, exactly. You know, I will I will sign off the fact that this was a fake news and all these states you lost you actually won. Yeah. So this to me is, is similar in that Boris, you know, you've lost two ethics advisors in the space of 18 he's months. He's going to get one that's in his pocket. You're just going to get someone in who's like, you know what? I don't think you did anything wrong. You know, you said you didn't break, yeah. you didn't know you broke any rules at the time. So fine. You know, that's okay with me. That's how the law works specifically for you as your ethics leader. <laughs> yeah, I, I get it. As we've been talking about for years now, this casual erosion yeah. of justice, of, of the law, in which people just blazonly and brazen, brazenly, blazenly <laughs> is not a word, brazenly lie Blazerly. and pull the wool over or attempt to pull the wool over the eyes of the public yeah but there's no accountability for when they do it and break the law and for example here do things which are completely unethical yeah they're told they're unethical and they say yeah all right okay yeah, this, this shrug, is, shrug the shoulders back this, to the job this is why when this happens you, you can't you, you don't just get to go this is boris and you don't just get to go this is the mps this is the entire conservative structure from top to bottom, from from everything down to councils and the people who work for the councillors, everyone who works for the Conservatives is a part of the problem because, as the FBI did, if you disagree with stuff like this, you can threaten huge amounts of action because you know that everybody else in the organisation also disagrees. Yep. So the fact that there isn't huge amounts of action, rebellion, protest from within the conservative hierarchy, and they are, there are loads of people working with that party, it shows that they are all on board. <laughs> if they're not on board, start protesting. Use your power as, as a collective. Okay, let's move on. and We're going to actually stick with the Tory party uh, a little bit longer. Let's talk about Rwanda. Oh, so yeah. legal action is, is currently underway after what was meant to be the first flight out from the UK to Rwanda with yep. uh, asylum seekers on board. That was cancelled minutes before takeoff uh, last Tuesday after legal rulings were made. So initially there was meant to be something like 40 people on the flight, but then it became yep. uh, 30. Then it became uh, mm -hmm. 20, 10, and then mm -hmm. with about an hour to go it was 7. Yeah. And then eventually it was... Totally worth all the money we put into it. None after the European Court of Human Rights 
essentially put in an injunction which challenged the UK's government's uh, decision yep. to, you know, ship people off to the East African country. So Priti yeah. Patel said she was very disappointed, but preparation for the next flight begins now. Uh huh. Of course so it does. They are still uh, still pressing ahead with this. Yeah, and they're gonna they're gonna use it to to get their voters all riled up. The the European Court of Human Rights is is overstepping onto our sovereign laws and we should be able to make our own laws regarding the human rights. Yep. Even though it's something that we, like, I guess it was championed by... Wait, was this way back in Churchill days this thing kicked off? It's a long, long time ago, like decades ago. A very ago, long yeah. time ago. And the countries who have kind of left it are Russia? <laughs> the best group. If we're wanting to try and like say that it's not a good idea to listen to this specific court regarding human rights, not the best club to be in, but it's exactly what they're going to do. They've. I wouldn't be surprised if they realized that this was the path that was potentially going to happen. Is they either get to start deporting people, yep. sending them off to Rwanda, or they get challenged by yet more European courts and European overseers and they get to rile up their base again. Okay. It, it's a win-win for them. Yeah. So so just to give you some context here, one of the asylum seekers was an Iraqi man who is identified here as KN. And this human rights court in Strasbourg, um, which still counts the UK as a member, as you say, rather than, you know, leaving the European Union, you also leave the Euro- European Court of Human Rights. Nope. Two different things. It's a very different thing, yeah. And they ruled that, that, that this Iraqi yeah. faced a real risk of irreversible harm if he stayed on the flight and arrived in Rwanda on this one-way flight. So that is where the court came in, because essentially they said this is completely inhuman yeah. that some people, particularly if they have been persecuted or have had to flee their country because of fear of their own life... Are then being sent to a country which perhaps has They'd similarly also have fear, radical yeah. feelings yeah. about uh, who they are and what they believe and uh, whatever that is. Yeah. For example, if I went to Rwanda, yeah, pretty sure I would be in prison before long. Yeah, yeah, you wouldn't be getting the you wouldn't be getting noticed exactly uh, yeah. in the same way as you were in your holiday trips. You'd be, <laughs> yeah. So we also had then Prince Charles, who had a, a secret but not secret discussion, uh, public discussion about how he felt about this Rwandan policy, and funnily enough. He and Boris are now currently in Rwanda together, which I'm sure will make for some mm, awkward mm-hmm. chat. But this was the news that, um, yeah, he had privately criticised this policy. He called the practice appalling. And this was then leaked Yep. Uh, on the same day that the uh, courts challenged these uh, deportation orders. And now it's going to go through the court systems and it will be, I'm sure, a matter of weeks before it's back in the headlines again. Yep. And, you know, it's really great that we've got a royal family who is principled and definitely matter because now we know that they don't like a thing right, right, and they can on. do nothing about it. So what is the point of having them? Right. I, I, I agree to an extent, but there are people who are royalists before they are Tories. I know, yeah. And yeah, they yeah, will yeah, see yeah, this yeah, and they'll see it. someone like Charles, who's heir to the throne, describing a policy as appalling, yeah. that has got to have even a little bit of sway. Hopefully it has an impact, okay. yeah. And one more story before we, we uh, move on to our next section. I want to talk about the rail strikes here, James. I don't know why I, I put them so far down in our, uh, our running order. Let's okay. let's bring okay. them yeah. Yeah. to the fore because it is the biggest story in the UK this Come week. rail strikes. And this is the news that if you are planning to take a train uh, tomorrow, which is Saturday, or if you attempted to on Tuesday or Thursday, you would have been yeah. basically hey. unable to hey. because... 
coins. If you're in the past listening to this, you're about to take a train. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. Uh, this is because yeah, the thousands of staff from Network Rail and 13 different rail operators walked out. Yeah. It's the biggest rail strike in 30 years. And this is across the UK. Yes. Uh, Mick Lynch, who we were talking about earlier, here he's the, uh, the General Secretary of the RMT. If you're yet to see him be interviewed, please do take some time to watch him. He's very, very good. Uh, he described uh, and blamed the dead hand of government, saying ministers were not allowing employers to negotiate freely outside of shadowy government uh, figures standing <laughs> behind them. Yeah, yeah, got it. Anyway, so this is this is where we're at. The RMT are looking for a pay rise of about 7%. Wow. So, you know, that's almost as much as the pensioners are going to get next year. It, it, it is indeed, yeah. So, of course, inflation's about to hit uh, 10 maybe 11%. 15 by October, just see wait. 7% rise for, let's say, a cleaner yeah. who earns uh, around about £18,000. That would take them up to just over 19 thousand pounds oh boy that's a lot of money colin <laughs> yeah it is from 18k to 19k for you know people who clean the, the toilets and the, the the trains across the uk if we're not careful they're gonna buy themselves a whole amazon with that the, the employers so far though have only offered two percent with the possibility of a wow. further one on the condition that workers accept proposed job cuts and changes to working practices Disgusting. so this is where we're at this this impasse and the chat now as we've seen yesterday is that other industries are looking at what's happening on the on with the rmt and they're saying you know what i don't like the fact that you know in this hospital we have a food bank for staff yeah so that's where we're at, James. And obviously, as we discussed at the start of the show, the the uh, those who are striking are being made out to be the bad guys. They're the bad guys rather than, you know, the bosses and the corporations with all the money. Yeah. Well, everyone who's like hiked prices and is making record profits, everyone who has power but is not wielding it for the good of the of the poor, but instead just trying to funnel money to their rich friends. The actual evil people. <laughs> just, just before you go any further, there was a point that was made yesterday, which is yeah, go, go, go. Um, it was some some Tory MP who is uh, debating Mick Lynch, <laughs> and Mr. Lynch said, and he, he lost, but Mr. Lynch said, "Look, the government raises the price of train fares every single year according to RPI, the Retail Price Index, yeah, and that is usually about eight percent a year, yeah." Our staff's wages have not gone up for three years, and they are not affected by RPI at all. So you are actually making things more expensive for the customer, yep. making profits for the train companies, yep. and not paying the staff anymore. And that's that's their argument. It's privatization as intended, though. It's not even like this is what just you happen to be doing this, and haven't you noticed that it's kind of like harming the wrong people and making money for the rich ones instead? It's like, well, no, that's that's what they intended when they started selling off all of these uh, th- these essential parts of our country to private business, yeah, yeah. which sometimes they had to rebuy and kind of own a little bit off because it turns out that private doesn't work. Um, it is as intended. They do not want to help the worker. And right now, when we have a... Well, we already were, as far as I care. We were. We have been in a cost of living crisis for a long time because we've got rampant poverty in this country. Uh, an unacceptable amount of people working in poverty in this country before the pandemic. It's only been made far worse by the pandemic and by all the crises that have happened thereafter. So... Clearly, anybody who's standing up to represent workers, people who are who are actually 
working in this country and who haven't got enough money because the living wage is too low, the minimum wage is too low, everything's too low, they are the good ones. And they're being they're being made out to be these like manipulators who are taking advantage of a crisis and all of these things. And it's all projection because the people who are accusing them of taking advantage of a crisis are representing businesses and representing a government who took advantage of a crisis in a hundred different ways. It's ridiculous. And I mean, the, the next stage for me, though, is or as the question is still being asked today, what's this going to take for these two sides to agree? And because they are so far apart, I suspect that we may see strikes throughout the summer. Listen to the workers. How about that one? Right. If you want people to agree, agree with the people who are actually important for the company, who the company could not run without. If the workers all quit, company dies. If the leaders all quit, company survives. Listen to the workers, please. Just give them the money they need. Inflation is ridiculously high. Wages should be at least keeping up with that. And while productivity is increasing on top of inflation year on year, wages should be having a real a real uh, increase. It shouldn't just be following inflation or, or barely keeping up. Wages should be going ahead of inflation because our country is... is is getting more productive every year and the people who should be rewarded for that are the workers. Last discussion, and this is the one I really want to focus in on. Labour and their position, or perhaps oh my lack goodness. thereof, when it comes down to these strikes. It's so just disappointing. To give you the, the history, Labour, as the name would suggest, would typically have stood alongside your fellow man and have, would have been on the picket lines and supported the unions and better conditions for workers, better pay, two-day weekends... Minimum hourly rate, all that kind of stuff. Anything that you like about your job yes. is thanks to strikes and pickets and people Correct. organizing. Absolutely, because otherwise we would all be running to the ground in the pursuit of money. By the time we're 12. So that's what Labour historically have done. But this time, they've almost appeared to distance themselves from the unions. So, yeah. And I think it's it's partly because, let's get into this, right? I believe it's because the Conservatives uh, themselves have said, oh, these strikes are terrible and Labour support them. How dare you, Labour? I can't believe it. And years years ago, (laughs) decades ago, Labour would have said, too right we do. Yeah, we do. It's about time that the money in our society was fairly distributed so that the people who are doing the really disgusting, grubby work get fairly paid for it. But this time... Sir Keir and a bunch of his cronies have basically been, well, I, I, I wouldn't go as far as to say we support them. You're not going to see me standing arm in arm with Mr. Lynch, are you? And that, to me, is a failure of their, a lack of taking a position. They don't know where they stand on it. And it's really difficult to see that, that they're going to win the next election if they're on a fence on the fence on something as simple as this that they used to yeah. you know, stand hand in hand with. And the problem is that they don't get anything from from not doing it. Exactly. Because the Conservatives have painted them as supporters of the of the, of the the strikes anyway. And the hist- history of the party means that everyone believes they are very easily. So they might as well support the strikes because it's already they've already lost the argument as far as do they, do they or do they not. Yep. Trying to present this weak, we, we're a neutral... Uh, ground doesn't help them at all so they should be in support because obviously it's the right thing especially when it's uh, almost uh, analogous to to the P&O situation where the conservatives even had to step in and take care of the workers in that in that sense in that circumstance yeah 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 and so the, the labor party could have just taken advantage of it and said well look at this 
They are being threatened with job cuts. They're being threatened with changes of working conditions if they don't agree to piddly wage increase. This is exactly the problem that we experienced and that the, the, the conservative government was in support of a month ago or whatever it was. Easy, but no, Starmer can't do anything, can't do anything good. Just keeps chopping things off his list of promises. <laughs> but why? Like, and I get it. They're trying to be electable and stuff. I don't understand why. It's, 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 it's the confusion. Is They're trying to act like they're the only party to vote for, except the Conservatives still. And it comes back to what I've said already. They can be the party that supports this and say to the Lib Dems, hey, Lib Dems, you be the on-the-fence party for all the neutral voters. And then wherever that seems like the greatest population, we'll let you take those seats. And then we'll, we'll be the party pro-protest and, and pro-worker organizations. And then when it looks like that's supported, we'll take those seats. But instead, yep. they're acting like the Lib Dems don't exist again. Uh, just, just for anyone who is still thinks that uh, the the unions are wrong here. Uh, This is a story from an hour ago on the BBC News website. All right. A chief executive of Birmingham Airport has been given a 49% pay rise. Wow. I wonder if his wages were more than 18k. Which have gone from £399,000 a year to £595,000 a year, which of course has been described as absolutely disgraceful. Considering this airport Surprise. Uh, wow. laid off 40% of its staff uh, during the last couple of years. And now, yeah, the unions are looking at, okay, well, what action can we take? Because that is ex- this is exactly the problem we're talking yeah. about. Sounds to me like they took advantage of a crisis to reduce their workforce, to, to keep the company afloat during a, cri- during a pandemic, uh, and then took advantage of recovery to give themselves bonuses. Woo! I'm so surprised. Yeah, and, it's, and it's if you look terrible. into it, just just check out check out whatever companies you want, whatever companies are important to infrastructure, especially, uh, and you can see the pattern of cutting down workers, cutting down workers' pay, cutting down worker uh, rights, hours, uh, well, increasing hours generally, uh, but at no extra pay, and during a crisis because we were all essentially to get through it together, and then rewarding nobody but themselves afterwards. It's just so it's so strange to me that the, that the media, the conservatives, uh, and general generally people out there can't get in line with protests, can't get in line with worker organization, can't get in line with these these these. Pickets. Yeah, I mean, my final because point: a year ago and two years okay. ago, they described all of these jobs as essential. Yeah absolutely recognizing how important they were to the pro- the ongoing society we live in and now it's just like well you're too essential to ask for a pay rise no you've, you you're essential means you have to be basically like poor for our sake <laughs> yeah 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 as as we say my final point here would be I don't understand why Labour aren't just leaning into the position that they held for decades because it's only going to get them more support yeah that's it. Or it's going to solidify the support that they have so that they can organise better. <laughs> because people will then know what they stand for. Yeah. Whereas at the moment, it's like, well, wait, do you support the workers or, you, or don't you? Yeah. And it's so unclear that we're actually having to discuss this. Yeah, so support them, get all the votes from the other people to support them, and anyone who doesn't can, can vote for the Lib Dems. It's great.
Okay, James, some more stories to talk about. Let's stick one more time with politics and talk about the SNP. <laughs> okay, okay. Because, of course, they've had uh, another uh, rough few days. And this was after Patrick Grady, the MP, uh, SNP MP in Westminster, had was found... Um, essentially guilty of making an unwanted sexual advance towards a 19-year-old staff member. Yeah. And that uh, that happened. He was suspended from Parliament for two days. Oh, wow, two whole days. This, <laughs> two whole days. And after that, because people were very uh, kind of disgruntled that he'd only been yeah, told to stay away for two days, an audio recording of a meeting of SNP MPs was leaked after that suspension. And in the clip... The Westminster leader of the SNP, Ian Blackford, could be heard telling his colleagues that Grady needed their absolute full support. Mm. And he was very much looking forward to welcoming him back to the group. Are you? And uh, Amy Callaghan also had urged her colleagues to rally together to support him, uh, rather than, you know, the 19-year-old he groped. So... This then led to First Minister's questions yesterday, and Nicola Sturgeon uh, said that it was uh, utterly unacceptable that her colleagues had shown more concern for the MP rather than the, the rather than the the victim. Yeah, she's right. So that's where we're at. Patrick Grady is still in a job. I suspect he will be for until the next election. Yeah, uh, but that's that's the latest, and it's just another grimy uh, tale of yeah. politics and. Um, sexual inappropriateness. Not a single party is free from this. I mean, haven't heard anything from the, from the Greens yet, I guess, but nope. they haven't got a lot of people in Parliament. But True. It is, it is, it is, as we've said in previous episodes, with the power of being an MP uh, and with this whole uh, cliquey kind of boys club feel that the place has had for a long time, even during increasing female representation... It is happening, and it is happening in every single party, and they all need to have better responses to it. And this from Blackford is disgusting. It's worthy of a very public and very loud apology. Which she has now apologized for. Yeah, they all have, because... They all, they, and it's just all the parties do this, and the SNP are as much of a cult as the rest of the parties. Behind closed doors, they are all just like supporting each other. And they only care about themselves, and anything that damages their reputation and their and their party has to be dealt with. And this is another thing: is this has to be dealt with for the sake of the party and for the sake of of Grady. And that was it for them until we all heard it. If it didn't get leaked, we'd have never known. They would have never felt bad about saying it. They would have never, of course, apologized for saying it. Yeah, yeah. And this is why the leaks matter. This is why the leaks are great. We need to be, <laughs> to be leaking things from all parties all the time. I think Nicola's response uh-huh. was, again, pretty great in this instance. She covered all the bases. But she wouldn't have been responding in this way if it wasn't for a big failure, right? Yeah, oh, for, well, it, for sure. If, and that's the thing. I mean, she must be... You know, legitimately furious that this is now a story that she's had to yeah. uh, criticise her own colleagues for. But at the same time, Grady gets a two-day suspension, stuff like that. She would have been happy just to say, right, hey, he did his two days and the party's moving on now if it wasn't for a big mistake. Yep. But she shouldn't have been able to say that. The party shouldn't be able to move on from a thing like this uh, because their response to it made the problem worse and all of those things. Uh, so the SNP, much like other parties, clearly failing as far as uh, internal systems go for protecting their own and for protecting just people in general. And I hope 
that they can figure out a way to be better. Yeah. Okay, let's move on. Let's talk about Afghanistan. Uh, there was a massive earthquake there on Wednesday where so far more than a thousand people have died. Uh, this is due to the fact that it happened in a rural, mountainous part of the country and heavy rain, threadbare resources, landslips and uh, the terrain have all made things worse. Of course, that's hampering rescue workers yeah. and people who may still be buried in the rubble. Now, these homes uh, were often built with mud, were often built with uh, very, uh, let's say, unstable resources or material and that's what's contributed at least to so many deaths we've had people in this report here who um, have said they lost 19 family members wow. all of whom living in the same house yeah or in some or houses next to each other and uh, now the taliban have been applying or appealing i should say to the united nations for help for for aid and there are, and it should be given. Yeah, there's there's help on the way, but this is, yeah, um, yeah, a pretty horrendous story. And it, well, it's it's one of those things. Uh, it doesn't matter where a disaster like this happens, we should be right there straight away with all the resources to respond and help. But moreover, we should have been there improving this place for decades. We should have been in all, and we should be in every single, all of us rich countries, we should be in every single other country helping them improve their infrastructure, their building, their, 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 their town, city planning, all of these things. Because uh, there are countries out there that have a lot more earthquakes, that have a fewer deaths per earthquake, and they've got a lot of experience building infrastructure that can withstand it. Yeah, yeah. And yet we've got all of these poorer countries, all we've done is exploit, go to war with, destroy, and cripple so that when a disaster happens, they get even further crippled. We should have been helping them decades ago, so this kind of thing wouldn't be so impactful. Yeah, but, well, but part of the, you know, we can help them now as well. Okay, well, part of the the um, the pushback to that is that the, when the Taliban took over last year, yeah. obviously they took over the entire running of government, and these this group simply don't have the same expertise, knowledge, contacts, relationships that's what I mean, with they countries and uh, all around the world. And that's why this response has been lacking. Yeah, there's a lack of response due to the current situation, but the current situation is due to a history of a lack of responsiveness from us in terms of helping them rather than taking advantage of them. It's the same thing as you see in Central, Central American countries who experience disaster after disaster. It's because we stripped them of all their resources and they haven't been able to build up safe environments for the people at the same rate that we have. Okay, in the last few minutes, and this is a uh, post-podcast edit, dear listener, uh, we've just learned about the US Supreme Court striking down abortion rights in Roe v. Wade, uh, but that is, um, yeah, James is long gone, and I'm about to head off, so we will revisit that in full next week. So instead, let's go to Austin, Texas, where... The response to the Uvalde school shooting yeah. have been criticised as abject, an abject failure, yeah. where police ignored lessons from previous shootings and put the lives of officers ahead of the lives of children. Uh, this is according to the director of DPS, Steve McCraw. He told a state Senate committee that there were more than enough officers to isolate, distract and neutralise the subject. Of course, police officers with rifles waited for more than an hour oh, yeah. before they stormed the classroom and killed the gunman. Uh, which after he had shot and killed 19 children and two yeah. teachers. So this is a pretty, yeah, it's as, as, as damning a response as you're going to get. And it, it could get worse as more information is revealed because we're learning more over time about 
the truth of a situation or some plausible uh, potential uh, things about the situation. For example, we know that they were actually much closer to the room than they were trying to let us know. They were in hallways with with guns, with shields, uh, much much earlier than they they kind of implied. Uh, So even closer to the crisis, dodging it. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like eight minutes after the shooter entered the building, uh, police were there and they had the tools essentially to storm it. They had their uh, their first shield within 19 minutes. Yeah. And they just sat there for the next 45. Yeah. And there's there's also this kind of strange... Now, this is a bit more of a conspiracy theory. I don't know. Maybe you'll, maybe you'll delete this part from the podcast. Okay. But there's been, this, there's been this idea floating about that very soon after uh, this happened, the police started reporting that the, 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 the shooter was carrying a 9mm handgun or something like that and was killing people with it. When, like... Apparently they weren't, and they just had a rifle. And the the guessing here is that the police were trying to cover up the fact that maybe they killed some of this uh, the innocents in their response, which is believable. Plenty of times in the past, these situations have resulted in crossfire casualty, a little bit of collateral, and it has led to casu- like death for individuals. And there's a guess here that this has happened and the police are hiding it. So my, uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if over the next few weeks that we found out that that has happened. Well, my response to that would be, as with most people who talk about conspiracy theories, is let's, let's work through the logic here. And part of the logic would require every single police officer to be an absolute scumbag with no morals, with no ethics, with nothing. Like, generally, well, just an evil, evil person. They'd have to know, for starters, it wouldn't be that many. And for seconds, some of the ones that weren't that did themselves get arrested <laughs> during the crisis we found out that a police officer was uh had their gun removed and they were put in cuffs for trying to go into the school to save their wife i think mm-hmm. there is a lot of conspiracy theory and i there find are. some of it to be believable and uh, i'm all i'm saying it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if it came to light that there was this element of it as well because we have seen that the incompetence was incredibly high well, i did also hear from a relative who believes that uh, the shooting was actually ordered by uh, joe biden yeah the, and, uh, joe biden um contacted the the boy yeah and that's that's why so that they could uh, pass this new those gun ruling. theories less believable yeah yeah and they're, the families of the victims are being harassed by people who believe in that kind of uh, conspiracy where they think that this was just a, f- a false flag yeah, to yeah. try and get new gun laws in place and stuff like that. That is just destructive and vile and evil. I'm far more likely to believe in conspiracy theories surrounding incompetence and surrounding cover-ups than I am believing conspiracy theories that require a whole bunch of people to work together to do something really evil in a very competent and and very efficient way. Okay, incompetent police, fair enough. Okay, let's move on. Just on that note, actually, the US Senate, we did talk about this briefly at the start, uh, US Senate has passed a gun control bill. Yeah. This is the most significant legislation in almost 30 years, which would impose tougher checks on younger buyers and encourages states to remove guns from people considered a threat. Uh, And this was uh, rare because 15 Republicans joined Democrats in the Senate to approve the bill. It still does need the endorsement of the lower house before being signed into law, but that is expected to happen. Indeed. 
Of course, it, it falls far short of demands of activists, but it's something. It's actually, honestly, more than I expected, especially considering some Republicans okay. put their names on it. Um, and it is very telling seeing the general media response from from hard right sources, uh, their response to those Republicans who put their name on it. There's a lot of name calling, some very harsh ones, uh, some people calling them uh, traitors and treasonous, such and such. Um, so there, it is. it was a risk for them to do this. They have caused a little bit of a rift. Uh, in the party, which, you know, good on them. They're doing something that wasn't just going to get them free votes from their base. Yeah, so we had the Senate leader Mitch McConnell and also Lindsey yeah. Graham, who both yeah. voted for it. And it's just, it is similar names to the people who have kind of been a little bit less in support of the likes of Trump over the last couple of years. Uh, so maybe if this rift gets wide enough that it looks irreparable, they might just go all in on their, I don't support Trump, actually, he was bad all along and we should put him in jail, which, you know, is always a potential thing. There's a thousand reasons to make him not run. And this could help some of the Republicans feel like maybe it's the right idea to do. OK, one more story before we talk about uh, lighter matters. And this is the news that the world governing body of swimming, FINA, have voted <laughs> to stop. Lighter matters. Let's, <laughs> let's talk about, <laughs> let's talk about contra- controversy in athletics. Indeed. Lighter matters to come after this. So this is, uh, yeah, okay. FINA who have voted to stop transgender athletes from competing in women's uh, races if they've gone through puberty. Uh-huh. So this is also aligned with FINA, who are going to establish an open category at competitions for swimmer whose gender identity is different than their birth sex. Yep. So this new policy was passed with 71% of the vote from 152 members, yep. and uh, it's made up of a 34-page policy document, meaning that male-to-female transgender athletes can only compete if they have stopped if they didn't uh, male puberty, puberty yeah. before the age of 12. Yeah. And uh, this means that, for example, the, the most high-profile uh, transgender college swimmer, Leah Thomas... Winner uh, of one w- event. Winner of one event. Uh, yeah, we'll get to that. Uh, who, who would now be blocked <laughs> yeah. from participating in the female category at uh, any female swimming well any female meet. swimming meet that is that f- immediately follows uh these rules which isn't all of them right right uh, right first so american colleges and stuff to, which she'd, she'd still be able to compete now fair enough fair enough what i think is that we have to trust the experts this is what we called for we specifically i i remember on the podcast was talking uh, regarding swimming and regarding sport in general We've got to trust in the governing bodies of those sports to come up with fair rules regarding what is and isn't an advantage. Uh-huh. There is not always a very clear-cut definition between what is and isn't a biological advantage in different sports for for different levels of uh, whether it be uh, your sex or other parts of your body uh, regarding uh, your competitiveness. And I think... When it comes to swimming, I can see why going getting some extra male features like the wider shoulders and stuff like that that doesn't revert technically or a certain hip set maybe for swimming that doesn't revert once you go through a hormone therapy. I can see why they've decided that this is a is a necessary advantage and that they should rule on it. But I do think it brings into into question. Uh, 
how they're going to enforce this when it comes to people who are maybe just intersex. Right, right. Uh, who are who are born intersex, who are who rec- who are who get declared as biological women, but they do present some masculine traits that give them a competitive advantage. I'm wondering how this speaks to a swimmer like Phelps or other swimmers who were just built di- di- built different, quite literally, <laughs> with a biological yeah, advantage yeah. rather than uh, the normal human, they just tried hard advantage. Um, these kinds of rulings are very interesting on that front for me because it speaks to further competitive advantages that people get just naturally that are not tied to their their sex at birth. Right, and that's that to me is is the and look, I don't have the answers here. Yeah. This is simply a case of the camp who would say if you're born a woman, you should be in women's sports, and if you're born a man, you should be in in male sports. Well, what about the the born women who, as you say, are intersex? And that's the likes of which is a lot. Yeah, Christina Boma, Duty Chand, uh, Margaret Wimby, all these women who are banned because of something else, whether it's testosterone, whether it's uh, the way that they have yeah, some sort of glands in a part of their body that they shouldn't. But this is the the main argument, because this has basically been started after Leah Thomas, yeah. uh, who last March, like we knew this was coming. And we, we said at the time, we said before, and you've just said there, the rules are there to ensure fair competition and to hear from experts, people who actually know what they're talking about. Um, and that's why, in some competitions, the likes of Christine Mboma and yeah. uh, even Castor Semenya mm-hmm. can compete because their testosterone is too high. The rules are testosterone's got to be below this level. So sorry, gals, yeah. you can't compete. And it, and it, but it's... as we've talked about before, hold on, as we talked about before, Leah Thomas was allowed to compete, as was uh, Hubbard, the weightlifter, mm-hmm. because they passed the bar. Like, there were rules. The bar and, that was set, yeah. Yeah, and they passed them. So it's not just like, as some people I've seen making this out, oh, if, if I say I'm a woman, I'm allowed to compete. No, that's nonsense. Was, yeah, no, it was already hard to compete, and now it's just even harder. You have to pass the biological barrier set by the sporting bodies, the likes of the IAAF, the likes of FINA, and if you don't pass, then sorry, you can't get in. And that, at the moment, yeah. as you've said there, also includes uh, intersex women. And it yeah, already is harmful. And that's the open category is interesting to me because it would hopefully give those right, intersex right. people and other people who have unusual uh, mutations almost a place to compete. For sure. Okay, but my main point on this is that it feels like a blanket ban when something more nuanced yeah. would have been better. So, for example, the body themselves, Finna, they don't just represent swimming. Yes. This is polo. This is diving. It's synchronized swimming. Oh. And this new legislation, unless it gets changed, means now and forever. So even if you transitioned at 13 and you want to be a synchronized swimmer in your 40s oh, or even in your 60s, like I was reading this morning, in the uh, the Masters the masters categories, like other post-Olympic athletes do, oh. too bad. You know that even if, oh. even if half a century has passed and you transition to 13, too bad you can't compete, even in something like the yeah, Masters. So it, to me, this is taking a hammer to a walnut. I agree. It's great to hear from evidence-based research and people who have actually looked into this and looked at everything, fine, but I do feel like a blanket ban is too much. And it's simply a case of yeah. we want to avoid the media circus yeah. if this comes up. My my initial response to that kind of learning how broad it is would be to say to rein it in a lot. There are times where competitive integrity definitely really matters. However, 
the open category sounds great to me. <laughs> uh-huh. And if they put their all their eggs into the open category basket and that becomes really heavily funded and even it becomes the primary place for people to compete, okay. that would be wonderful. Um, and then you've got your three levels where <laughs> if you're so competitive that you feel like you can... Uh, Beat Phelps, Phelps's world record. It doesn't matter. You can you can probably do that in the open category. And if if you're deemed that you've got too much testosterone, there's this secondary category, which is apparently for for women. Okay. Uh, I I do think that what we should see in the future is 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 no gendered sports at all and just well funded categories at different levels. Um, it would be a shame. Uh, but only if there there are separate prize pools. I think it's interesting. One of the things that's interesting to me, I guess, is the likes of boxing. Right, right. Where there is gendered events, but there is also weight-specific events and things like that. Okay. And they all seem pretty adequately funded, and they all seem to get a lot of support. And I think we could see right. that occur in more sports, <laughs> where you've got more categorization that is But something like boxing well. or MMA is, you know, there, there's no argument there for making that genderless because a 200-pound a, a man against a 200-pound woman... Yeah, I'm not saying... Man is yeah. going to do some serious damage. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think that... I think there's some cases where you can have gender-neutral sports. I think there's some cases where you can have other categories be right, the deciding okay. factors. And I think a mix of those is going to be the path forward. I think there are too many sports right now that the only divider is biology, where there's no really reason, no real reason to do that. And the divider needs to be something more accurate, like... Okay. Uh, muscle density and stuff like that. But before we move on, the last thing I would say is uh, is just to remember Leah Thomas in all this because, look, I know how horrendous that must be to just have everybody talking about you and acting as if you are a threat. I just feel responsible for this. And you're yeah. going to clean house in women's sport, which the data, as you've talked about, is, will show you is inaccurate. She won the 500-yard freestyle at the NCAA last March. It was the only race she won. At 27 records. I think she competed in several races. She got last in a race, if I remember correctly. Yeah, she did. Yeah. 27 records were set at that event, and she didn't break any of them. In fact, the time that Thomas won the 500-yard race in would make her the 15th fastest, uh, nearly 10 seconds behind Katie Ledecky, who is uh, yeah. who is actually cleaning house. Ledecky, who, who is... She 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 was, I think, 15 seconds ahead of the competition in the last race that I saw her name yeah, in. Yeah, she, she was lapping people. So I'm wondering, has she got a biological advantage? And I don't think that that means she shouldn't be able to compete, but it, it's a clear indication that when you get these superstars in events with the likes of Usain Bolt, the likes of Phelps, Phelps the likes yeah, of Ledecky, yeah. the likes of other people who just clearly are are biologically different how is that called competitively fair when something like someone who trans who 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 is transgender who transitioned at a young age is unfair it doesn't make sense to me that some of these people are getting put down and not allowed to compete intersex people and trans people especially and then other people are just glorified for being biologically different when it's just exactly the same They're, they didn't earn that they just lucked into it
Right, James, let's talk uh, some, oh, just a few stories uh, left and some reviews. Let's start with the review. I have watched an old movie. What have you watched? I watched the new TV show and uh, Dungeons and Dragons Twitch stream. Interesting. And we did actually have a listener review. Thank you, Anthony, very much. We're going to save that for next week because we knew this one was going to be a, a bumper episode. <laughs> it's a chunk, chunky episode. James, <laughs> I can see you have watched Obi-Wan. I have. I would very much like to hear about this. This is the Ewan McGregor Star Wars Disney TV show, yeah. which I believe is just finished. Just finished. What do you make of it? Uh, I'll try and do a spoiler-free review. Okay. Overall, I'm not seeing it. as a person who likes Star Wars a little bit more than average, I liked the show more than I should have because it had pretty well-done fan service. Uh, just the fact that it's Ewan McGregor doing Obi-Wan, which is like one of the roles that he executed perfectly. Yep. And he continued to, to execute it to that degree. It just felt right, seeing him walking around even. Um, I think the show did a lot of things very well. I think maybe half the things the show did were done to a degree that I really enjoyed. And it was mostly the smaller moments, the character moments, the, pl- the things that could be done in a, in a small space or maybe sometimes the highly choreographed fight scenes that could be executed uh, by, let's say, a B unit who is in charge of fighting and and, and uh, maybe in yeah, charge yeah. of the cameras during those fights. Uh, there were other elements that were completely awful. There were there were CGI that I haven't seen look this bad on a Disney show. Oh, uh, there was some rushed, uh, rushed, low budget, really poorly done comping that I couldn't believe it was so obvious it looked bad. There were some things that looked like a kid had figured out how to green screen their their spaceship toy into a scene. The the, the sizes of objects didn't make sense. Well, hold on, um, hold on. Just on the, the kind of ropey green screen, is that not like a, a throwback to old old Star Wars like I wish it felt like that but it was okay. it looked like they were trying hard <laughs> it looked like they it looked like they were taking it seriously it wasn't like in space they used a cool model and it felt like a model flying in space it was uh, stuff interacting with people there were it was it was the high intensity scenes it was the moments that were supposed to feel really really important and they just felt oh that is ruined by the bad graphics uh, there was a whole episode that the entire storyline was it just made no sense. The characters were stupid. They kept making ridiculous decisions. Uh, it, it, it was the episode that is basically a heist. I talked about it before. It was awful. Um, the directing on the show in general was bad. I think they've trusted a director who's previously worked with them to do single episodes with an entire series, and it wasn't a good call. Um, but the like uh, the acting was charming. Some of the writing was really well done. They tied they tied for for a show that happens between the prequel series and the original trilogy. They tied elements of those stories together very well. I think they did their very best to use actors who have aged a wee bit in flashbacks. But, but they did do flashbacks to to what should have been much younger characters, and they just had the same actors in like makeup. Oh. When Disney is pretty good at de-aging characters, it just costs money. So I'm confused. I think they just didn't give this show a lot of money or time because a lot of the things that that went very wrong could have been solved with time. A lot of a lot of the problems with the script for me were just like that would have been resolved if they had a second draft of the script. That makes no sense. There was a lot of elements where the timeline didn't make sense or a character just didn't didn't make sense, and it was just the expedient solution for how to get a thing 
from A to B. So there was all, a lot of contrived elements that I felt like if he just wrote the script twice, like did a redraft, it would have not happened. So I'm feeling like the show was rushed and not very well done. Uh, but because I'm a big fan of Ewan McGregor and Star Wars in general, and they didn't butcher anything too horribly regarding the, the story that I like, I still enjoyed it, even if there was a lot of moments where I just had to sit back and go like, oh, there's no way that happened. Oh, no. <laughs> okay, okay, right, let's uh, let's move on. I will tell you about Top Gun, the original, because I've had that DVD, uh, which I stole from my cousin, uh, Ruth Martin. Yes. I'm very sorry, about three years ago. <laughs> and it's been sat on my shelf, and I, f- I even went on a, a move, moving house with me, <laughs> and I finally got around to watching it. Because the sequels in cinemas and the sequels meant to be very good. So, watch the original and it was fine. It's, it's basically it. Mm-hmm. Tom Cruise and Val Kilmer yep. and the guy from ER who I really liked but whose name I've forgotten. Yes. Are, yeah, they're all they're all fine. They're it's good. just a very yep. bog standard American 80s movie. About it is, it really boys is. and planes, and there's that's what it is. There's Meg Ryan, a token female interest. I think it totally <laughs> fails the Bechdel test. There's maybe two speaking female characters in the entire thing. I can see why. I can see why it's the military. You know, yeah. There's not many women Fair there enough. back in the day. They were usually on other more important roles. <laughs> Indeed, and it's yeah, it's it's fine. You know, I, will I ever watch it again? No, but have I now seen this iconic movie? Yes, I don't. And you understand? Really see. What all the fuss is about? You get it. You do. You see the fuss. It's the best movie ever made. <laughs> well, I, I I can understand perhaps at the time. No, it yeah. was seen as oh, this is really it cool. Is it's really special. Yeah. I, I understand that, but watching it through modern eyes, you know, thirty plus years later, it's it's a it's a film. It's a movie, and I'm expecting yeah. very good things and from it was the new a, one. A, a, impressive that it got made. Yeah, the new one's yeah. meant to be great. I will report back next week. Or the week after. Yeah, you was making making good monies uh, one, one other show which I'm still watching. Okay. But I'm going to tell you, James, I am watching it reluctantly. Oh, dear. The Boys. Oh. And do you know, and do you know why? Okay. We're on um, it's season three. This is the Amazon Prime show. This is the R-rated exploding people, exploding heads, superhero movie, TV show. It's not a movie. It's a TV show. <laughs> movie TV three show. Three seasons. And this third season, James, I don't know about you. It is so bleak. I just can barely get through oh, an episode wait. now because everything... Everything is bad. It's just... It's so, like, sad. And everything's falling to pieces. Okay. There's never okay. any... I thought you were, like, going to tell me you weren't enjoying the show because it's, like, it was bad. No, 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 no. I no. was going to be surprised by. I'm not enjoying the show because it's... It, everything's going wrong. Like, there's no redemptive arc for really anyone there's nope. maybe like two characters who you're rooting for yeah and even the things that you want them to like you want them to win you want them to to get a, a wee victory here I or got, there i got three i know that they're doing this in this sort of like mid-season arc but these are just bad people like carl urban's character of uh, billy butcher it's awful i know it's i know it's the point i know it's the point yeah but he is like the the leader of the boys and he's just this horrible yeah. horrible yeah. man who treats his friends he just roofied his friend in the last episode it's disgusting yeah it's awful <laughs> he's a, he's a, he's a legitimately bad guy fighting legitimately bad people right um which we've seen before we've seen shows that follow the bad guy and follow those in fighting i i know but even something like game of thrones had a little bit of light and shade, you know? So you'd have, oh, you'd go off to see Arya, and Arya's having a great time, and she's she's killing the good the bad guys, and she's all fine. Ah, oh, man. Right? 
But then in this show... Remind us to talk about, about Game of Thrones right after we're done reviews. Okay, and, but then this show is just so focused on... Bad, bad, bad. Everything going wrong. And I know there will be, towards the end of the season, you know, the, the good guys will get their... But will the they? The win they so sorely deserve. But will they? Look, if they don't, I don't think I can keep watching the show because it's just making me miserable. I think this season is setting up everybody to be upset at the end. I, I don't think I don't think there's going to be the happy people, and I, I think there maybe will be the token but, but I don't, <sighs> little little ray of sunshine that will make the audience feel like not everything is the worst in the world, and we'll watch another season right, of this. Okay, well hold on. But I get I'm getting the feel that the theme of this season is everything goes wrong for everybody, no matter how good or bad you're trying to be. And that uh, fair look, if it goes like that, I can see that's maybe a direction they would go in. But yeah. that to me is not a way to get an audience to come back and find out more because <laughs> you, you just it's drain your audience of like <laughs> happiness or wanting to see these characters no. because they're all just immoral, soulless, joy-sucking body bags. <laughs> it's... Just not. It's just not fun right now to watch. Right, but then they're anyway. going to explode somebody next episode. It's going to be like, yeah, explosion, and everyone's going to watch it again. It's fine. Yeah, and you know, I've I've seen enough people being impaled with dildos through the mouth uh, to last me a lifetime. So I I no I I am I'm into this season more than I was into the last season. It, well, in, interesting. Okay, fair enough. Anyway, back to By you. the end of the last season, that is anyway. What else have you watched? I watched a. Uh, a mini series of Dungeons and Dragons on Twitch. Interesting. It, well, I watched it on YouTube, but it was another. It was another D and D stream, and it was on Critical Role the channel. But it was it was a campaign ran by a, a different dungeon master, a different storyteller from a different uh, organization called Dimension Twenty, uh, whose whose stuff I'd never seen before. This is Brandon Lee Mulligan. Oh, sorry, Brandon Lee Mulligan. I always get his first name wrong. Who you nice. might have heard of because he was in College Humor. He's done a little bit of this and that. There was six people playing characters. And the reason I want to talk about this is because I've talked about Critical Role a few times on this show. And I've talked about it to people in real life a few times. And I'm like, you should watch it. It's really good. And then I say, but it is also like the longest thing you'll ever watch. It is ridiculous how many hours of your time you have to sink in to watch this. Uh, watch it if you're busy doing something. Put it on the side. Watch it in two times speed if you can. Okay. However, this is a four episode miniseries, a separate campaign that doesn't really spoil anything from the primary campaigns. And I think it might be the perfect appetizer to test out if you can get into watching people play fiction the game because it is really well done. It, it The planning that must have gone into this little mini arc blows my mind. The, the, the dungeon master, the way he handled the storytelling, the characters, the way he, he, he juggled so many things all at once inspired me. I, I was in amazement having watched the final episode. I, I sat for the rest of the night being amazed at the different things that they managed to do in this like communal storytelling thing that they did together for us all to enjoy. So if you've ever thought, yeah, I might, I might try watching some of these Dungeons & Dragons shows. Try watching Exandria Unlimited Calamity because it was, it was honestly mind-blowing for me. This, what basically, this, the, the premise is the world is going to get destroyed. We all know this because they tell us it's the, it is the premise. Yep. We watched six people who are either the ones, we don't know, who are either going to be the ones destroying the world or be the ones trying to make the world not get destroyed. Here they are. Away they go. 
the, the high level campaign, actual powerful people who get to flex their muscles uh, with a DM who's just basically, he knows if I kill these these folks, it doesn't matter. I don't need to feel bad. It was what the story was set right, up right, to right. be. And they just go for it. And it's high energy with charismatic people playing uh like pretty cliched characters, but very enjoyably cliched characters who you, who you can hate, but also root for and who you can respect and learn a little bit from. Um, and even though it's a four episode arc, there there's a lot of hours. So these characters get a lot of time to develop more than you might even get in a few seasons of a TV show. Okay. Right, well, time is ticking by, so let's continue on. Penultimately this week, Kate Bush and her song Running Up That Hill. Oh, yeah. Which, if you've been living in the world over the last few weeks, in my head. you will have heard everywhere. Yep. I'm currently singing it in my head. It's back. And this is off the back of Stranger Things, which is... Uh, they chose a good song. They did indeed, which is... Is the final season's penultimate or the final two episodes coming out in a week or two? And this song, Running Up That Hill, features yeah, heavily. The penultimate season's last two episodes. Yep, yeah, it features heavily in, in the show. I am still enjoying Stranger Things, by the way. And I've still got another. I'm enjoying it more than I have previous seasons. Yeah, absolutely. And what I do like about it, and just very briefly, yeah, Running Up That Hill is currently at number one in the UK charts could, and could well spend a second week there. Congrats to. Congrats to everyone who's making money off that song, I guess. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Well done, Kate Bush. And what I would say about Stranger Things, and it does kind of link to Game of Thrones, is that this season feels like, and I did actually look at an interview, and this is what the directors themselves, or the showrunners said, it feels like Game of Thrones because they are just like going to different places and let's go and find out what yeah. Hopper's doing and let's find out what Mike and Elle are doing and let's find out what so-and-so is and doing. They needed to do and that. I think it has freshened up the show. Well, and they've done it before and that was part of the thing that worked in the previous seasons It was the different groups doing their thing. Um, but I guess the things they were doing was a bit less compelling. Yeah, yeah. Whereas in this one, the things they're doing feel right. In a previous, in the last season, one of the people, one of them was compelling, I guess. There was people fighting monster, I guess, because the was, Billy was compelling as a character. Yeah, yeah. And that was about it. All the other side side stories, they kind of were a bit lackluster. It was a Russian dude that everyone liked, but yeah, I didn't really get it. The, the the other, there were some kids infiltrating a military base. I I just didn't <laughs> never bought into that for a second. Fair enough. Uh, but this season. All of the side quests are further apart from each other, so it doesn't feel like they're just setting up for everyone to regroup in the last episode, even though they might do that anyway. Um, but they're so far apart and they're so separate that it actually feels right. Okay. Well, one final story, or rather, do you want to go back to Game of Thrones? Well, no, no. Good song that I'd only ever heard a few times before and I'd never really had stuck in my head before, but it's been stuck in my head. And I, I finished watching the episodes of a while ago now, and it's been stuck in my head every day since, and I haven't gotten tired of it. Bang and chin. Well done. Game of Thrones news. Jon Snow's getting a sequel series. Oh, really? Oh, I missed <laughs> this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. HBO have announced. Uh, they've talked to a few. There's There's been chat with... Wait. I forget who, who the name is. Who played Danny? Amelia Clark. Okay. There's been chat from HBO. There's been an interview of Amelia Clark. Uh, there's been an interview of George R. R. Martin all talking about this new this new show called Snow, I think. Just just Snow, maybe. It's just Snow. Uh, based okay. around the character Jon Snow, who it was it was pitched by Harrington himself to HBO, um, who agreed to to make it. Harrington's in, involved in the writing. Interesting. George R. R. Martin is involved in the show somehow. I'm assuming just in the lore in the what would happen and uh, hopefully more directly than he was in the last few seasons of Game of Thrones um, overseeing 
And I think it's just generally people who who got their careers made from Game of Thrones were like, eh, that was kind of a good career. Let's try and prolong it a wee bit, uh, the show. But it might be good. Uh, right, so right. It's, it's it's more interesting to me than some of the other projects because it feels it feels like the people who are making it are definitely interested in it. Okay, well, yes, there's just one point I would want to make. We do have a spin-off Game of Thrones uh, prequel on the way with Matt Smith yeah. in an ill-fitting yeah. blonde wig. Indeed, yeah. That this one is, I mean, that sounds interesting, particularly if Kit Harrington is the one who's pitched it, because from what I would gather, most actors don't really like being pigeonholed as certain characters for their whole career, because yeah, I anytime I see role, I Kit Harrington, I just see Jon Snow. Yeah, but if he if he's come back and he's like, yeah, we can we can make this a great show. Good luck to him, and especially considering that he blamed the show for like his alcoholism and his mental struggles. Wow, like you know something must have won him over, and hopefully it wasn't just the money. Hopefully he did fall in love with being the character and has found a healthy way to enjoy that. You okay. know, I got hope. Anyway, one final story because it has uh, time is time has disappeared here. Uh, this is the news that workers at an Apple store in Maryland have voted to unionize. Woo! Up the workers forming the uh, the first ever retail union uh, inside the tech giant yeah, well in the United States. So this uh, shop in Towson um, passed the measure by basically two thirds to a third. And uh, there we go. It's the third store to launch a union drive, but it's the first one to actually hold a vote. And now they, they're in a union. Well done. Yeah, now they can't all get fired immediately like you can if you fail the drive. Um, more unions, good. More unions leads to more worker power. More worker power leads to better working conditions. Better working conditions leads to everyone feeling like unions are a waste of time, which leads to fewer unions, which leads to our current situation, which is every worker in the world being as exploited as possible. More unions. Hey, okay, well, on that note, James, it is time to end the show. I say every, but there are still some unions. Good on this them. This has been Seesaw Parade, and you can get in touch, seesawparade at gmail.com, at Seesaw Parade on Twitter, or just message us directly, as some of you like to do. And thank you very much for listening, especially if you are also in a union. Let us <laughs> yeah. know. I'm not. I used to be. I should be, but I don't think there's unions for independent uh, editor contractors. <laughs> yeah, freelancers don't really have any rights, do they? Sucks to be us. It does. Right. Yay. Bye, James. Bye-bye.